How to be a bully. Self-defense, self-awareness, self-development. This is the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of themartialist.net and philelmore.com. I am the aforementioned Phil Elmore, your host. Let's see how many times I can say my name in the opening. I thought uh, this episode we would talk about bullying because so many people seem to be interested in the topic of bullying. I guess because it's kind of universal, a lot of us can relate to being bullied. A few of us can relate to bullying others. I would we call that counter-bullying? Um, one of the titles I thought about putting on this podcast was Bullies and Counter-Bullies for that, for that reason. Um, so I thought I would share some stories I have from uh, being bullied and doing my own bullying in my younger days. Uh, we reach a point in life where it shouldn't be possible to bully or be bullied rather anymore because we're in legal territory it's not that someone's bullying you they're harassing you or threatening you and that's a serious legal matter and i think all of us as we sort of come of age we reach a point where this is no longer a question of am i a bully or am i being bullied we're now into you know do the police need to be called kind of uh, territory so there's a hard stop in most of our lives when it comes to whether or not this is still a thing as a result, most of my bully stories are, of course, when I was quite young. Um, I can remember the very first time I, you know, and, and everyone, especially males, I, I can't speak to the the experience of girls and young women growing up, but males especially, it's almost a rite of passage. There's a hierarchy. There's people who bully you. There's people maybe you pick on. Uh, growing up, that was I was never one to do that. Mostly, uh, growing up, I was the sort of kid that people picked on. I was, you know, I was fat. I was uh, too intelligent for my own good. I didn't know how to lie low and sort of stay under the radar. I developed those skills over time. Like by the time I got to be uh, in junior high and high school, I was starting to learn how you stay under the radar, but still not very good at it. So when I was in fourth grade, uh, I went to a school that was just the fourth and fifth grades. Uh, and uh, it was what we considered the middle school. I used to take for granted that these divisions were how everything worked, but it's not. And, you know, every school district is different. So our school was divided into elementary school. It was kindergarten through third. There was a few elementary schools around town, a couple of them. Uh, middle school was fourth and fifth grade. Junior high was 6th, 7th, and 8th, and that occurred in a building that used to be the high school. It was one of those public works programs from the 30s where they put people to work through the government, and as a result, the building had elaborate masonry work and, and, and trim work in a way that you wouldn't see in a school these days. Uh, so the school was, once the high school, was now the junior high. And then my town built a new modern high school back in probably the 70s, 60s or 70s. And the building had that look. 1970s construction is pretty easy to spot. So the middle school and the new high school were both located in the same location. So you had 4th and 5th in one building. And high school, of course, was 9th through 12th. So when I was in the 4th and 5th grade building, I was in 4th grade, and there was a kid. It's funny how you often remember their names. His name was Danny, and Danny was a bully. And I have very little memory of why I would have come into conflict with this person. Um, usually they just decided it was fun to pick on people, so they did. 
And I, I have a vivid memory of sitting in the lunchroom and Danny coming up behind me and punching me in the back because that's the kind of, you know, piece of garbage coward that he was as a child. Um, he might have turned into a great human being. It's hard to say. Um, I, I remember this wasn't really a bully story. I got into a fight when I was in like second or third grade and a kid named Scott Frank punched me in the nose and gave me a bloody nose. And my elementary school was right across from where my house was. So I remember going home and, you know, walking in and having to face my mother with my bleeding nose. But Scott wasn't a bully. And, and we went to school together for years after that. We were friends. Um, I don't have any bad memories of him. I have no idea how we got into a fight. But then when I was in kindergarten, I stabbed a kid in the face with a pencil purely by accident. Uh, my friend Alex Devins, who, Alex, if by some infinitesimal chance you're watching this, to this day, I remember stabbing you in the face with a pencil in kindergarten. Um, I think we were sword fighting with pencils. Never a good idea. He's freaking lucky it didn't hit his eyeball, and I'm really lucky too. Um, but I remember somebody was like, oh, he's going to get lead poisoning. We didn't know that the pencils didn't have lead in them. You know, they have graphite. It's a different thing entirely. So anyway, um, you know, in kindergarten and in second or third grade, these were not bully incidents. But Danny was legitimately a bully. And I can't remember if him punching me in the back happened before or after the big event. I'm pretty sure it was pretty sure it was before. And I want to say, in my very dim memory of how this worked, that uh, after that he got in trouble because a teacher saw him do it and he got hauled off to the office. Um, and I think I started talking tough because I'm like, well, he doesn't dare touch me now. You know, with that bravado you have when you're on the other side of the cage, taunting the caged animal. And so one day I'm walking to school. I remember it was winter and there was a big hill that you had to climb to take the back way up to the middle school. It took you past the high school over to the middle school. And I remember I was walking up that hill and I got right to the crest of the hill and there was Danny. He's like, oh, I hear you've been talking tough or, or something. I don't know what the dialogue was. Uh, and I fought him and I lost. Uh, but I did my best to fight back viciously, um, as hard as I could, because he was much bigger and much stronger. Uh, and I remember, you know, hitting the snow and losing my glasses, kind of the, the, uh, the, the Ralphie story over and over again. You lose your glasses when you get into a fight. And he never bothered me again. I, I think this taught me the first of several bully lessons. This one being always fight back. Make it not fun for them. Make it so that... That, you know, they don't just get to pick on you indefinitely, make sure there's a cost for what they're doing. So, and I learned the lesson. I lost the fight, but he never bothered me again. You don't have to win. You just have to be a harder target so that it's no longer fun and games to mess with you was the lesson I learned from that. Um, I don't know whatever became of Danny. I have no memory of him existing in my school after fourth and fifth grade so like uh i would have gone to fifth grade and he would have moved on to another building since he was a year ahead of me in the fifth grade when i was in the fourth grade and i don't remember him ever existing ever again after that so it's possible his family moved away maybe he died we can hope but i don't actually wish that i don't remember what this kid even looked like you couldn't i couldn't pick him out of a lineup um but i do remember his name was danny and i remember this whole incident um in junior high uh, junior high was bad. Junior high was, I think, the worst combination of the amount of free latitude that, that students have to pick on other students and cause trouble because they're given more freedom to move about the building. But 
the least amount of responsibility like it was a bad combination like we had a lot of leeway but but and not a lot of supervision but we should have because we were really just vicious to each other it was i remember junior high being very unpleasant in that regard um and not the least of which was i had a gym teacher who was the worst human being on the face of the planet um, i'm not going to say his name because there's no point in that and i don't want anyone to like look him up after but this guy followed me from uh, not me personally but like he was a gym teacher in the elementary school in the middle school in the high school there was no escaping this guy he was even my driver ed teacher and he was bad at it and it was unpleasant um but this guy in junior high uh i remember i was sitting in we used to have these things called assemblies maybe you remember them where we would get called down to the auditorium as a school and we would go by classes and at this particular class the person in charge of watching us was our gym teacher because the assembly started from when i would have been having gym so we go there to the assembly whatever it was you know the stupid things they have you sit through i remember you know just say no style anti-drug speeches and they brought a psychic in one time i don't remember why i would have thought some parents would have had some problems with that but anyway so we're at this assembly whatever it is and some of the kids in my gym class were hassling me so i got up and moved i moved from one row into another row my gym teacher this bastard comes over and sits down and is like why did you move and i'm like because they were messing with me and he does some parents have that vulcan neck grip that they do i remember my father used to do the vulcan knee grip in church if you were misbehaving and he would clamp down on your knee to get you to shut the hell up um that worked until he encountered my cousin my cousin who was born with a medical condition he was born with his head up his butt uh, and the doctors weren't able to save him but my cousin if you tried to vulcan knee grip him in the middle of a church he would just go ow you're hurting me really loud which is like the move counter move to that but anyway this bastard put his hands on me like he was somebody's dad and and you know exerted force to make pain because he did not approve of me moving and i wish to god that i had known then what i know now because i would have gotten him in so much trouble um we had a when i was in junior high we also had a math teacher who used to torture us physically and you say oh you feel you're exaggerating no no i'm not he would get mad if the class was inappropriately attentive and he would tell us to take our math textbooks and hold them out with our arms extended and leave them that way well try doing that with a weight in your hands for any length of time eventually it'll your arms will start to shake and you'll want to put your your elbows down and he would say if you put your elbows on that desk anyone whose elbows touches the desk gets detention and so that was literally physical torture under pain of giving people detention if i had known then what i know now i would have stood up walked right out of the classroom and headed straight for the office to complain um that guy died of a heart attack though so i think we're even on that score it wasn't that long after i had him as a math teacher um so yeah it's amazing what people used to be able to get away with um when i was before i ever went into school I used to go to a nursery school. That's what we call them. I guess you'd call it a daycare now. And uh, I think there was some ostensible attempts to teach us things, but mostly it was just keeping an, keeping an eye on kids while their parents were at work. And I remember coming home one time uh, and my parents, I, I don't know why I remember this because I would have been probably four years old, but my parents asked me how nursery school was that day. And I said, I don't like it when they hit us with the yardstick so much. 
And I remember my parents freaking out. And, and then right immediately after that, I ended up going to a different uh, nursery school um, because they both worked. And that's why it was necessary to have some kind of daycare for me. My father was an engineer and my, my mother worked, I want to say she worked for Bausch & Lomb, the, um, the eye care products company back then. I remember her, she'd come home and her fingers would be blue from the mimeograph machine. Um, and if you're too young to understand what a mimeograph machine is, that's a, it's like a photocopier, except that it used a chemical process that got blue crap everywhere. And the, the mimeographs were monochrome in blue and white. Um, so rather blue in the absence of blue. So that's a thing you know now if you didn't know what a mimeograph machine was. So anyway, yeah, that, that gym teacher, I, many years later, I actually hunted a, down a contact for him. I contacted the principal of the school who used to be my social studies teacher in like seventh grade, he remembered me. And uh, I said, hey, is, is uh, so-and-so still working for the school? He said, oh, no, he retired a long time ago. But he pointed me to where I could get an email address for this guy. And I emailed him. I'm like, are you the same so-and-so that was a gym teacher in this school? And I forget exactly how he worded it, but his reply was so arrogant, just in the few words on the screen, that I'm like, well, there's no point in reading this guy the riot act because it won't get through like nothing short of showing up on this guy's front lawn would would move him in any way and i'm certainly not the sort of psychopath who's going to do that over a 50-year grudge or not 50 a 40-year grudge um so it was it was a valuable lesson that you truly can't go home again and you're never going to get even with that gym teacher who was uh, inappropriate with you to the tune of possibly losing his job if anyone had known i don't know I don't know why I never said anything. I, maybe it just never occurred to me that it was wrong. Years later, it did. In both of these cases, the math teacher and the gym teacher, I remember having a moment. I'm like, wait a minute. That's actually illegal. I should have said something. But the lesson here is that authority figures can be bullies too. And knowing what your recourse is when you're being bullied by an authority figure is very important. Um, and it's not something that I was aware of back then. And so make sure... I, I think kids today are much more savvy about that sort of thing because the average young person knows that an adult can't lay a hand on them without getting into a lot of trouble. So in some ways, we've gone too far in the other direction. Um, you know, there, there, there's no such thing as en loco parentis anymore, but uh, I think we've gone too far beyond that. Um, all right, the, the next bully story that I can share with you started in junior high. When I was in the seventh grade, there was an eighth grader and, and we were in the band was a seventh and eighth grade band. And I was, I was a band kid. I had a saxophone. I played the saxophone. I've since forgotten how to do that. I stopped playing the saxophone after my freshman year. But anyway, uh, I, w I was in the band and there was this kid named Kevin who was a drummer. I remember he was in the percussion section and Kevin was a merciless bully. I'd never done anything to Kevin. I've never, spoken ill of him. I'd never done anything to him to sort of earn his ire. But Kevin was horribly mean to me all the time. And I remember him being very unpleasant when I was in junior high. Well, then I hit eighth grade. Kevin went to the high school. Problem solved. And I remember eighth grade, when you're the, the top of the three grades in the building, being relatively uneventful. Then I was a freshman in high school and I was in the marching band. And this is the first time that anyone ever told me that I had to play an instrument and march at the same time. I got so tired of trying to walk and chew gum at the same time in this way that after ninth grade, I made a, I cut a deal with my dad. I'm like, I want out of the band. And he's like, okay, well, in exchange for you not using the instrument that we played 600, paid $600 for, I think that's about what it cost back then. Uh, I want you to take 
personal keyboarding, which is typing, and technical drawing, which today would be drafting or CAD. If it was done, this was all paper and pencil, but uh, technical drawing. I want you to take those two classes. Ironically, those are the two classes I have used in my working career for the rest of my life. So my father was on to something. But anyway, uh, I stopped doing uh, marching band after ninth grade. But for that year, I had to contend with Kevin again. And uh, he was just a miserable craphead all the time. So I used to, instead of eating in the lunchroom, because I was in the band, it was permitted for me to eat and read quietly in the band room where there wasn't anybody around. So sometimes I would eat in the lunchroom. I remember sitting there eating and drawing on a, on a drawing pad. I, that's one of my few memories of that lunchroom. I remember having lunch in the lunchroom in high school uh, and sitting next to some German exchange students who were talking about everything, including me. And I knew it because I took German at the time. Uh, and I, I didn't say anything to them because there wasn't any point, but it's like, I know you're talking about me and everybody else around you. They were, they were kind of a bunch of jerks, um, you know, come to the United States and make fun of everybody around you. But anyway, um, my, my hundred percent score in the German regions, notwithstanding, that's a useless language to learn. It, it doesn't do anything for me. I've forgotten most of the vocabulary. So other than catching occasional bits and pieces of like the terrorist dialogue and die hard, there's no point. In knowing German, I wish I'd taken Spanish. I really do. Anyway, so in, in the ninth and 10th grade band, uh, or, well, not ninth and 10th. I was in ninth. Kevin was in 10th. The band, I think, spanned all four years of high school. You could be in the band no matter what age grouping you were in. Um, obviously, the more experience you had, the further you'd place in the seating arrangements. Fun fact, my band teacher is now married to a girl I went to high school with. The story goes that after she graduated, some years after that, I think he was married and his marriage split up. If he was married, I don't know. But they ended up finding each other again, dating, and then getting married. It is so weird to me that somebody who graduated in my high school graduating class and who was in the band with me is now married to the guy who taught the band. That's weird. More power to him as long as there wasn't anything untoward going on while she was a student. Um, you know, because once they hit high school is when things start to get jailbaity. You know, uh, ninth and 10th grade girls are 14, 15 years old. Most of them are never going to be legal. Some of them are 18 by the time they're seniors. But, you know, I don't know if you've driven by a high school recently, those of you in your free candy vans. But, yeah, you it's hard to tell how old people are. It's freaky. My, uh, what I call my dad relay clicks shut. It goes, you know, it's, it's that like, I'll be walking, say I'm in a shopping mall and I see some woman who's dressed in very little clothing. The first thing my brain goes is, Hey, look at that. And the second thing my brain says is who let you leave the house like that young lady. So anyway, I was in the band room eating lunch and Kevin came into the band room for some band related purpose. And there was no one around, but us too. There's no supervision. And he said something crappy. And he had been so miserable to me for so long that something in my head just snapped. And while he was walking out of the room, I got up, walked up behind him, wrapped an arm around his neck, and just started twisting. Now, I had no idea how to fight anyone. I had not had any training. I hadn't even read a book on how to fight at that point, although I started looking at books on karate and stuff in the high school library after all this happened. Uh, because something in my brain was like, you need to figure out how this works. Um, so I just started choking Kevin. Well, 
I didn't realize this until later, but he was turning bright red. Like I was not allowing him to breathe. And we end up on the floor and I've got him. He, he could die like that if I stayed that way. And I, I remember thinking, what do I do? What do I do? He doesn't belong to me. I can't keep him. And without having any idea what to do next, I just let him go. Well, he got up and he's bright red from having been choked half to death. I remember him taking like a perfunctory shot at my arm as he was retreating and he fled. And that was the last I ever had to deal with Kevin. Um, there was another bully when I was in high school who was hassling me and then came into my homeroom when I was, I think I was a sophomore. And he walked into my homeroom, which is the, the class that you started out every day in that you didn't learn anything in. It was just kind of like your station for starting the day and getting roll call and announcements. And I remember thinking, if I don't stop this now, this guy will never leave me alone and there will never be anywhere in this building that I'm safe. So I went at him. I attacked him. Some teacher intervened, sent us both to the office, and uh, I didn't get in any trouble. Uh, basically, he got in trouble for hassling me, and I was let go with a stern warning about not attacking people. And that guy never bothered me again. I think he ended up fighting in the Gulf War, of all things. Um, but uh, in Kevin's case, not only did he never bother me again, but when he was a senior and I was a junior, uh, he asked me to sign his yearbook. And I looked at him, and I must have, something on my face must have been, you know, like, are you serious? And he said, and I quote, hey, come on, man, I haven't given you any trouble since you tried to murder me that time. Which was the first acknowledgement between us of what had happened and the fact that it had made a difference. So the lesson that I learned from, from those two bullies in high school was um, if you make it really bad for them, sometimes you'll, you'll flip them. Guys are weird like that. And we'll respect the fact that, oh, that guy tried to murder me. I should not only leave him alone, but uh, maybe he's okay. You know, that's like the the Johnny and Daniel in Karate Kid 1, you know, where, where Johnny gets defeated. And he's like, you're okay, LaRusso. You know, set aside all the Cobra Kai stuff that came after it. The the lesson of that movie was that that uh, uh, Ralph Macchio had earned William Zabka's respect at the end of Karate Kid 1. So there was that. And then also the fact that that's the first time I became acquainted with the idea that it was possible to bend the system a little bit. Because if you were known as the good kid, the kid who didn't get into trouble, and you actually attacked another kid who was known for being a little more of a troublemaker, those in power would show a little preference your way. So powerful twin lessons there about how these things work. Um, I also learned from, from the fight with, with Kevin where I had him on the ground and then had to let him go. I learned you had better get educated on how to finish these things. You know, I, I remember uh, it's one of the first UFCs. There was a, like a karate guy and a sumo guy fighting each other. And this was back when there was no time limit. Somebody had to submit. And I remember the karate guy broke his hand punching the sumo guy in the head because he didn't know how to finish the fight. He had no idea. So I'm like, he was like, well, I, I guess I'll just have to keep punching him until he gives up. And he broke his hand doing it. Um, so yeah, you've got to know how to finish. You've got to know how to back it up. And that's when I first started making a concerted effort to teach myself things about fighting. Um, I wouldn't say that it came to much benefit at the time, but it was a start. So, um, let me see what else is there. Oh, uh, also during this time frame in my life, right around high school age, there was a kid named Jeremy who lived in my neighborhood. Jeremy was not 
right. Jeremy was, I don't know, mentally handicapped or something was not right with him. And Jeremy was gigantic uh, and had a tendency to get into trouble because he would use his size to his advantage. And uh, I, I won't call Jeremy a bully because he wasn't really mentally capable of bullying anyone. He, he often would get humiliated by other people at the school. But there were other times when he would lash out and use his size to his advantage. Um, and he, did, he went through this phase where I would get off the bus and he would get off the bus and then he would punch me and run. Now, I've, me I've mentioned in other podcasts that I was pretty much born on Mosey, so I was not going to chase this guy. But even I run out of patience eventually. So there was two different times that I chased after him and we got into conflict. One time I was like, oh, that's enough of this. And I went after him and he took off his belt and tried to flail me with the belt buckle. Um, th something that would make sense only to someone in high school, I guess. Um, so I remember catching the belt and taking it from him. I don't recall how that ended up. I think he ended up running off after I gave him his stupid belt back. But a second time I was, I was mad. I was hopping mad. And I was so tired of this guy hassling me for no reason. Because, you know, it's not like I was antagonizing the kid. I was a quiet kid. All I wanted to do was get home, get my homework done, and watch whatever television show now fills my head with hours and hours of TV and movie trivia to this day. So I went after him, and I pulled the Kevin move. I got my arm around his neck, and I twisted until he was on the ground. And a light rain started to fall. I think I either punched him in the face or he bounced his face off the pavement, but his lip got cut. And as I'm getting ready, I'm like, I am going to, my mother, this was right across from my house. My mother opens the door of our house and she says, Philip, you put him down right this minute and come inside. So my mother is yelling at me to put that boy down and come in. And he starts blubbering. Like, ooh, like a, like a foghorn as it starts to rain on him. And I remember saying, you, you're fine. You'll be okay. You're fine. And I went inside. Now, there were no repercussions from that. He must have schlepped his butt home. And he lived right around the corner from me. He must have schlepped home and that was that. But there was a weird incident a long time after that where I remember I was down in the office in the basement of our house because my father used to work out of our house. There was a finished office down there. There was an extra desk where I would do homework and stuff. Uh, and we had our Nintendo, 8-bit Nintendo down there, stuff like that. And the laundry was down there. Um, so I was down there doing homework, and my father appears at the top of the stairs, and he's mad. Philip, you come up here right now. And I'm like, what? Because I hadn't done anything. I come upstairs, and Jeremy and his mom are at the front door, and Jeremy is complaining that I have hit him. Now, this was not in any proximity to a use-of-force incident with Jeremy. It was completely made up, and I was mystified. And my father, I think, detected my earnest confusion. Like, what? Because I had walked home that day with another kid who could have vouched for me. He was another kid that lived in the neighborhood. Uh, Charles was his name. We used to call him Chuck. And uh, I'm like, I, this never happened. So I, I guess my parents must have sent them away, and that was that. Um, and I didn't hear anything about Jeremy until many years later when Jeremy, as a, as a person in his late 40s, got arrested for shoplifting deodorant. Lots and lots of deodorant. And because the news story appeared in my local hometown newspaper, which was not really a newspaper, it was more like a circular, 
they had a gossip sheet and they had a crime blotter, but they didn't really report on news. So because it was run by people who were not very good journalists, the headline on the news story was, boy, somebody sure must stink. And there was a picture of Jeremy as a grown man. I'd not seen a picture of him or seen hide nor hair of him in all these years. And I saw that. I'm like, wow, that's kind of a horrible cap to what I'm sure was not a particularly good life. So the lesson of all of those interactions was, was that uh, crazy people, stupid people, people who are not mentally normal are unpredictable. And you don't know what they're going to do. They'll do things you wouldn't even imagine in a million years. Um, and then uh, the, I have a couple more stories where I am the bully. And I never considered myself a bully, but the first time it ever came up, I uh, had to calculate how does somebody bully someone, how to be a bully. Because when this was again when I was, I think I was a senior in high school, there was a smaller kid, a younger kid, who was hassling me. He would go by and say shitty things, or he would he would punch me in the in the arm or stuff like that. And I remember thinking, this is absurd. Why am I tolerating this? Why is this happening? And I just I didn't understand it. I'm like, this is not how the bully hierarchy is supposed to work. He's much smaller than me, and I have a vivid memory of, of standing outside like a, a foreign language classroom. I think I actually think this was my homeroom that year and the homeroom belonged to a Spanish teacher but I was not taking Spanish that's what it was so I might have been a junior and not a senior but anyway I'm I'm, I'm standing there waiting for the door to open and people are milling about in the hallways because nothing is officially opened yet and I, I remember thinking what does someone do to bully somebody well I guess if I was a bully I could bounce that kid off a bank of lockers and it would make a lot of noise and be disruptive but it wouldn't hurt him real bad Maybe that would be enough. So I did. I waited until he appeared and said something crappy, and then I grabbed him and I went, blam, and bounced him off a bank of lockers. And it, it worked exactly like I thought it would. Um, it didn't dent anything, thank goodness. I wasn't trying to hurt him real bad. I could have, I guess. Because, again, I was like twice this kid's size. Um, and he never bothered me again. Which comes back to that powerful lesson of make it cost them something. And I figured there was a chance I would get in trouble. Um, most of my time as a young person was spent desperately trying to avoid getting into trouble, which is why I didn't fight back more often, because I was worried that my father would be angry, especially if I, if I caught like an in-school suspension, which is where they made you sit in a little room, uh, or if I got a detention or something like that. The only time I ever got detention was like once by accident when I actually forgot my homework. And I remember sitting in detention feeling like a hardened criminal because I'd never had to go there before, uh, never before or since. So anyway, uh, I didn't want to get in trouble, but uh, this kid never never said anything, never brought it up. It never came back to me, which I guess the moral of the story there is sometimes you get away with stuff. I wouldn't recommend it because uh, I actually did a couple of things when I was in college that would have gotten me probably arrested. Um, I... I kind of, uh, I found my footing as an adult in college. Um, the thumbnail image for this video, if you're watching the video on YouTube, is of me in college. Uh, yes, that young, thin guy with the hair is me. Um, and I guess I, I got something of a reputation because I used to dress 
like a tough guy. You know, you're, you're in college, you're finding your identity. So I was always stomping around in combat boots and a leather jacket, and I used to shave my head sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, and word got around quite without my knowledge that, you know, people will believe that you're something that you're not. Because I was not, you know, some kind of tough guy. I was not really a bully. You know, you could motivate me to be angry about stuff, but I wasn't, like, I wasn't looking to mess with anybody. In college, my biggest motivations were I wanted to, <laughs> how do I say this delicately? I was seeking female companionship. I enjoyed drinking, and I wanted to get good grades. Not necessarily in that order, but probably in that order. So I did pretty well for myself in college um, in terms of grades. <laughs> did plenty of drinking, too. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go around saying I was a particularly a ladies man, but uh, even that when you're in college, it's uh, what they call a target rich environment. You will never have access to a greater number of potential deities. So so that even that went OK. Um, but I remember being at a class. We used to have these honors seminars. I was in the honors program at Alfred. And what that involved was once a week you went to what they call a seminar, which was a topic that wasn't a regular class and and you would get, I think we got grades for these seminars. I remember writing essays on Hemingway for one of them. I remember I took one that was on uh, Vietnam and I got an award for that. I wrote an essay for that Vietnam class that I ended up getting a prize for like a $300, $250, something like that prize called the Gifford Hopkins Writing Prize, which might exist to this day. Apparently Gifford Hopkins was known for being an honest dude. Uh, and I wrote an essay on the Vietnam War saying that you want me to write about the Vietnam War, but I can't help you because I can't relate to it. I'm a child of privilege and everything is awesome. And, you know, I, I don't have to deal with Vietnam, so how can I help? Uh, anyway, uh, some kid at this seminar who was just an obnoxious jerk and had been for the entire time I'd known him in college said something to me that I took offense to. I don't even remember what that thing was. So after I left the, the seminar that evening, I took up station at a telephone pole outside and I waited because when he came out, I was going to beat him up. And I could have too, because he wasn't exactly, you know, he was not imposing as human beings go. And I realized as I was standing there that I was playing the role of the bully. I was legitimately being a bully. And I'm like, and I had too much time to think. I think he knew I was out there. And so he just decided he'd wake me out from the safety of inside the honors house, which is where these seminars often took place. We would sit in the living room and have these classes. It was hard not to fall asleep during them, too, because the couches were super comfortable. But anyway, he just waited me out. Eventually, I got bored, and I started to think, do I really want to be that guy? Nah. And then I wandered off. Uh, and I don't remember ever encountering him again. He, like, went off to France for a study abroad year and then came back way, way more mellow. So good for him, you know. Um, but then while I was in college, um, also, while I was learning this idea that the image we cultivate can sometimes come back to us, and do you want to be that guy? Those are sort of the lessons of those things. A friend of mine was just savagely beaten by a drunken frat boy. Uh, he was walking across campus at night on a weekend. He encountered some drunken football player type who said something and reached out to shake his hand. Don't do that. That's a mistake. So he took the guy's hand, and then the, the football player clamped down on him with one hand and just started punching him with the other. <coughs> and my friend was so distraught by what had happened that he did not press charges, and I wish he had. The, the lesson there is, yes, press charges. Hold these people accountable for committing an unprovoked assault. Um, 
so I, I always felt bad about that, but it taught me the lesson that, yeah, you always press charges. And then uh, also when I was in college, when I was home on vacation, I got to be a counter bully. I did it twice. My younger brother is nine years younger than me. So when I was, um, how old would I have been in college? Like, let's say 19, 20. So he would have been 10 or 11 at that time, somewhere in there. Uh, and my brother told me that he was being bullied. There was one time that he was trying to ride his bike around the block and there was some kids on the other side of the block that were trying to stop him from, you know, the type of stuff that makes sense when you're young, stupid crap like that. And uh, so I remember I was deeply offended that these kids were not letting him ride around the block. I said, you get on your bike and you ride around the block. My parents had no idea that any of this was going on. So I get in my car, which was a 1984 Chevy Caprice, great big V8 car. Um, and I followed him slowly until he got near where these kids were. And then I jammed on the accelerator and slammed on the brake and roared up in front of that house, leapt out of the car. And I told those kids, my brother was going to ride his bike wherever he wanted. And if they had a problem with it, they could take it up with me. And I'm lucky I didn't get arrested <laughs> because you know, when you're old enough to drive a car and you're threatening the children who are bullying your brother, who's 10 or 11 years old, that's a good way to get arrested. I was young and stupid. What did I know? And then there was another time when this happened more directly. My brother had, it was again, a bus stop bully. He would get off the bus and this kid would hassle him or punch him or some other kind of thing. He told me about it. So without telling him I had this plan in mind, uh, since I was home on vacation, and I remember the weather was nice, so it might have been that I was out. Like We used to get out of college in May. And then school, you know, my brother's school would go till June. So there was quite a bit of time when he was in school and I was home. Um, so I remember waiting at the bus stop. The bus loads its kids off. And he he comes out of the bus and he's, he looks at me, he realizes I'm there. He's like, huh? I said, which one is he? <laughs> and he immediately knew. He immediately knew what I was after. So he uh, uh, he points to the kid. And so help me, I threatened that kid. You know, I said that's my brother, and you lay a finger on him again, you're going to deal with me, not him. And again, great way to get arrested. I mean, I suppose the statute of limitations is up on all this stuff. I wouldn't recommend anybody behave this way, but my brother remembers it to this day fondly, you know, that I counter-bullied his bully, and that kid never bothered him again. So I guess sometimes it's possible to bully for good rather than for evil. Um, and I'm Looking back, I'm, I'm glad that I have that memory. I would never do that today. I would never do something like that because you are putting yourself in so much danger of getting in trouble. You know, you work the system instead. And I realize the system has its drawbacks, but these days I would never, never behave in that way um, because it's just not worth it. And, you know, there's also, do I want to be that guy? You got to think in those terms. All right, well... Uh, if you have a bully story to tell, I would love to hear it in the comments uh, if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, if you're watching this on, or listening to this rather, on an audio podcast platform, drop me an email. Uh, you know, wherever you're listening to this, there will be links back to my my uh, my website and everything else, uh, philelmore.com. You can find my email there. I would love to hear your story. Um, let me know. Uh, and especially if you're watching this on YouTube, just leave a comment. Or if you're if I've posted this on social media somewhere else, comment there. Tell me your bully story. I'd love to hear it. Maybe if I get enough of them, I might even do a follow-up uh, podcast. So, all right, that's going to about do it. I have been Phil Elmore. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Until next time, pretend I said something cool here.
This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Visit us online at linktree slash philelmore. Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of themartialist.net and philelmore.com. I am the aforementioned Phil Elmore, your post. Let's try that again.